1: All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion mourned through body, speech, and mind I now fully avow. Heart of Great Perfect Wisdom Sutra uh, uh, uh.
2: Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva When deeply practicing Prajnaparamita Clearly saw that all five skandhas are empty And thus relieved all suffering Shari Does not differ from emptiness. Emptiness does not differ from form, for form itself is it's emptiness. Emptiness is the form. Sensations, perceptions, formations, and consciousness are also like this. putra all dharmas are marked by emptiness. They neither arise nor cease. Are neither defiled nor pure, neither increase nor decrease. Therefore, given emptiness there is no form, no sensation, no perception, no formation, no consciousness, no eyes, no ears, no nose, no tongue, no body, no mind, no sight, no sound, no smell, no taste, no touch, no object of mind, no realm of sight, no realm of mind, consciousness, there is Neither ignorance Nor extinction Of ignorance Neither old age And death no extinction of old age and death. No suffering. No cause. No cessation. No path. No knowledge and no attainment. With nothing to attain, a bodhisattva ...replies on prajna paramita, and thus the mind is without hindrance. Without hindrance, there is no fear far beyond all inverted views. One realizes nirvana. All Buddhas of past, present, and future rely on Prajnaparamita, and thereby attain unsurpassed, complete, perfect enlightenment. Therefore, know the Prajna Paramita. <laughs> As the great miraculous mantra, the great bright mantra, the supreme mantra, the incomparable mantra, which removes all suffering and is true not false, therefore we proclaim the Prajna mantra, the mantra that says kate kate. Paragate Parasamgate Puri Svaha
1: May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness, we have chanted the Heart of Great Perfect Wisdom Sutra. We dedicate this merit to our original ancestor in India, Great Teacher Shakyamuni Buddha. Our first woman ancestor, great teacher, Maha Prajapati. Our first ancestor in China, great teacher, Bodhidharma. Our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher, Ehei Dogen. Our first ancestor in America, great teacher, Shogaku Shunryu. The perfect wisdom, Bodhisattva Manjushri. To the well-being of all those afflicted with ills and to peace pervading for all peoples of the world, gratefully we offer this virtue to all beings, all Buddhas throughout space and time. All Honored Ones, Bodhisattva Mahasattvas, Wisdom Beyond Wisdom, Mahaprajna Paramita.
3: He is ready. Tonight's talk will be by Douglas Floyd.
4: I don't know that I'm going to be ready tonight, but uh, anyway, Uh, good evening, everyone. It's nice to see you here. Uh, I think I know everyone here. uh, For those uh, watching this as a recording, my name is Douglas Floyd. I'm the temple director at Ancient Dragons Zen Gate. And I want to thank our guiding teacher, Taigan Dan Layton, for this opportunity. Although I have mixed feelings about <laughs> having to talk. It gave me an opportunity to uh, spend some time with a favorite koan, a difficult koan. Uh, and I feel like uh, I'm, I'm getting a better feel for it. I wanted to talk tonight about case two from the Gateless Barrier. It's also case eight in the Book of Serenity by Zhang and the Fox. It's a difficult koan, a complicated koan. And a Rinzai, 17th century Rinzai Zen Teacher Hakuin considered it, he called it a Nanto koan, a very difficult koan, a a brain buster. And I, I think that's fair. I think it's fair. Uh, the koan is about a uh, great teacher, Huai Hai, who's known as Bai Zhang because he was the abbot of the Zen monastery on Bai Zhang Mountain in Hongzhou. And so the custom is to refer to him as Baijiang. And he was a student of Mazu's. And he had some very, very influential students. He transmitted the dharma, for example, to Wang Bo and Lin Chi, who were two of the really most important Zen teachers in our history. And the, the, the Quran, uh I'm I'm going to uh, tell the story of the Quran, uh and use the version from the Gatler's Barrier. It's later, and so it has some refinements on the version that's in the earlier Book of Serenity. Uh, and the refinements make it a better story, really. And so the story begins that uh, Master Bai Zhang, whenever he would give a, a Dharma talk, would see that an old man would come into the Dharma hall after all of the monks had come, and he would stay in the back in the shadows so that the monks didn't notice him. And as soon as the Dharma talk was over, he would leave, he'd never hang around, and Bai Zhang had never met him. But one night, after the monks had left, the old man came to the front of the Dharma hall and he gave three prostrations. And Bai Zhang said, well, who's this? And the old man said, I'm not a human being. Which is my favorite line in the clock. <laughs> I'm not a human being. A long, long time ago, in the days of Kashapa Buddha, I was the teacher and the abbot at this monastery. One day one of my students asked me, Does a person of great cultivation still fall into cause and effect? And I answered, does not fall into cause and effect. And since then, I've been reborn as a fox 500 times. And uh, so he said, uh, Master Bai Zhang, please give me a turning word to turn my mind from delusion to awakening so that I can be freed from the body of this this body of a fox. And Bai uh, Bai Zhang said, does not obscure cause and effect. And Chinese is very flexible. It It lends itself to multiple readings. So you may not be familiar with that translation. It's pretty common. But there are others, such as Beyond... Uh, does not obscure cause and effect. Don't obscure cause and effect. Cause and effect is not obscured. No one escapes cause and effect. A person of great cultivation does not ignore cause and effect, and on and on. So, but there you can see that sort of different approaches. One about um, the experience of the. Person of great cultivation, and then just a statement about reality itself. So, as soon as he said that, uh, the old man had an awakening and he said, I am freed from the body of this fox. I want to ask you to please, uh, my body of a fox is going to be found under a big rock at the gate to the monastery. Please find my body, and give it a burial in accordance with the rites for a priest or a monk." And he left. Uh, Bajan called the Eno of the monastery and he said, all right, summon the monks and tell them that after the midday meal we're going to have a funeral for a monk. And after the Eno did that, all the monks started saying, well, what's that all about? None of us has died. There's not even anybody in the Nirvana Hall, which is the formal title for the infirmary. But they went out and they were walking around outside the gate to the monastery. They saw the big rock and Bai Zhang poked under it and with his stick, he pulled out the body of a fox and they took it back into the monastery and they held a funeral and cremated the body of the fox. So that night during his Dharma talk, he told the story about his conversation with the old man, and at that point, um, his principal, his his very talented student, Wanbo, came to the front of the Dharma hall and he said, well, this old man gave a bad turning word and he was reborn as a fox 500 times. What would have happened if he would given the right answer? And Bai Zhang said, come on up here and I'll explain it to you. So Wang Bo came up and Bai Zhang started to lean back and, bai, and Wang Bo quickly slapped him across the face. And Bai Zhang started laughing and clapping his hands and he said, you know, I knew a barbarian has a red beard, but now I see a red bearded barbarian. That's the end of the koan. Master Wu Min, who collected the stories in The Gateless Barrier as a commentary that says, not falling into causality, why was he transfigured into a wild fox? Not obscuring reality, why was he released from the fox body? If you can see this with your Dharma eye of non-duality, you will understand how the former abbot of Baijiang Monastery cultivated his 500 lifetimes of transfiguration as a fox. And he wrote a verse that says, Not falling, not obscuring, odd and even on a single die, not obscuring, not falling, 1,000 mistakes, 10,000 mistakes. So I have always loved this koan just because it's a I think it's a pretty good story. It's a sort of a sort of a folk tale with the Three Stooges, I guess, with Bai and Wangbo having their slap fest or their intended slap fest. And it's also a koan with surprises; things get flipped easily. Um, commentaries frequently see it as a debate over different views of causation and. Uh, In a way, that's what it is, but that's not really what it's about, I don't think. Um, You can understand the confusion of the old man, the the fox spirit, when he comes to talk to Bai Zhang, because he's been surprised. I mean, he comes up, wait, I'm a person of great cultivation. I'm a Zen master, I'm enlightened. And I gave the right answer, and he did. This idea that an enlightened person, you know, this is, this is black letter Buddhism, that um, our delusion and attachment and aversion, our clinging and our intentional activity give rise to the suffering in our life And lay the basis for the karma that causes further suffering to arise, and that cause us to be reborn. And attachment, aversion, and delusion um, create the dark karma that gives rise to unfavorable, unfavorable rebirth, like rebirth as a fox. But that's the Four Noble Truths. That's the Twelvefold Chain of Dependent Origination. That's That's Buddhism 101. Um, And, um, you know, sort of the the follow-up for that is that the enlightened person is freed from the attachment, aversion, and delusion and isn't supposed to be reborn. So the fox spirit, the old man, gave the right answer. He's supposedly this enlightened being, so what's happened to him? Uh, and so Baijang responds, you know, uh, the enlightened person, the person of great cultivation does not obscure cause and effect. Um, and I think he, he's talking about that the cause and effect in a much broader sense, no? That everything is cause and effect. The entire universe is nothing but cause and effect everything in the universe arises in mutual dependence on the causal conditions of the entire world so that there isn't real there are no things there's only emptiness the world is empty because there are no things there's only the only there are only causes and conditions the processes of cause and effect uh, everywhere and he he says that to through the fox spirit, and it's kind of going, well, who is this, wait a minute, I mean, there are no things, the world is full of cause and effect. What are you talking about? Who is this person of great cultivation you're talking about? Why are you talking to me about this chain of lives caused by bad karma giving rise to lifetime after lifetime as a fox? What are you you talking about? treating yourself as some sort of... I mean, the world is nothing but change and interdependence and inseparability. What are you doing talking about yourself as this Zen master who hasn't changed? You've been through 500 rebirths as a fox? And you're telling me that this is is how causation works? I don't think so. And the, the fox is jolted out of his clinging to this this traditional view of causation, and opens up and is freed. He, he is awakened and he's freed from life as a fox. So I guess I'd have to say then, um, What's going? Uh, what happens when um, when Wanbo comes? What, what's Wanbo talking about? And for that, I think I think we have to look at Wu Men's poem, you know, that and his commentary. Not falling into causality. Why was he transfigured into a wild fox? Not obscuring causality. Why was he released from the fox body? If you can see this with a single, with the uh, the Dharma eye of non-duality. You will understand how the former abbot of Bajang Monastery cultivated the 500 lifetimes of transfiguration. In his poem, Not Falling, Not Obscuring, Odd and Even on a Single Die, Not Obscuring, Not Falling, A Thousand Entanglements, 10,000 Entanglements, A Thousand Mistakes, 10,000 Mistakes. You know, that's, that's the same thing that Wangbo is talking about. And he says, well, what if the fox had said... Yeah, the man of great cultivation doesn't ignore, doesn't obscure cause and effect. The the man, the person of great cultivation, the enlightened person, is subject to cause and effect. What would have happened then? Would he have been reborn as a fox anyway? I mean, this is a little different. Is this, you know, if he gave the right if he gave the classical view of karma and causation, it was reborn in a fo- as a fox. What so happens when he, when he gives an answer about emptiness? And just remember that this, this contradictory statement that, that really the, that uh, Bai Zhang is implying has led him to be awakened and therefore not reborn as a fox. So it sort of really validates the position that the old man, the fox spirit, had in the first place. You know, woman talks about, um, asks that question. Well, what's going on? Why why does one answer transform him into wild, you know? How can how can the one answer, transform, which is a classic answer, transform him into a fox? But the other answer, which contradicts it, uh, frees him but it's, it's just validating his original position. He's wakened up, so he's not reborn as a fox. But then his poem says, you know, um, not falling, not obscuring, which is the difference of um, the life of, of form, which, which is what the, what the fox spirit is talking about, that he's this individual person that's been reborn again and again and again. That's form... Baizhong is talking about cause and effect the the entire field of cause and effect um, uh, not obscuring they're like odd and even on a die and I think uh, then that not falling not obscuring one thousand mistakes 10 thousand mistakes women's making it clear that this that whether you talk about Form or emptiness, um, not falling, not obscuring; those are aspects of the world, but they don't really capture the world. The world can't be captured by a, by views. They're they're at best partial truths, and attaching to them is the nature of delusion. So. One bowl is really saying, either one. What about you, Mr. Bayajan? There's no such thing as emptiness. Um, Are you sure you're not attaching to that? There's form. Form is empty, but that just takes you back to form. You can't treat emptiness as a view of what reality is. There is no such thing as emptiness. There's nothing that you can... It's not an object of perception. It's not something you understand or capture with the description. It is a way of encouraging... of It's a way of approaching the world without clinging to views. You know, normally what happens is when we interact with the world, we try to grasp it conceptually. And when we do grasp it conceptually, that that concept always creates some sort of view of a stable, uh, unchanging, independent, separate thing. And if we attach to that view, that's the nature of delusion, and it gives rise to karma, to suffering in our lives. So our our goal our path is to live in the middle of our own conceptualization. we have to live using our minds but we have to let go of our thinking over and over and over again. We think we grasp, we let go. We think, we grasp, we let go. That's true not only in our practice but in our lives. But we practice it as part of our Zen training, sitting on the cushion, letting go of our thinking, letting go of our emotions, letting go of our expectations, our judgments, over and over and over again. Delusion waking up, delusion waking up, delusion waking up. Always with the aim of coming back to this moment. Without falling into the extremes of this and that, right or wrong, um, should, shouldn't, good, bad, but the, which, if we're if we're caught up in those, we're not interacting with the world. We're interacting with our conceptions of the world. And so that is our practice, that constant awakening, again and again and again, sitting on the cushion. So, since we have a small group, this is a good opportunity to uh, have a discussion with alternative views. Um, Thank you very much. Please bring me your questions. I can see none of you wants to cling to any views.
5: Maybe none of us want to go first.
4: <laughs> <laughs> well, don't make me call on someone. <laughs> uh,
5: I'll invite I'll Douglas, thank you for your thought. I, I okay. love this koan as well. Part of the reason I don't want to go first is my kids are a little disruptive, but I think they're calming down. Um, I love this koan. I agree. It's very rich. I have no idea what's going on with the fox under the rock. You know, that's included in some collections and other ones they just talk about you know, um, by Jane talking to the, the monk or the old man. You know what I really like about this, go on, and, you know, I get something new every time you say it, but as you were talking, I was thinking about the awesome responsibility, this unfortunate responsibility that teachers have where they can really do harm if they give the wrong answer. <laughs> this poor guy. Maybe his answer was useful for someone else, but in this case, whatever he told that person, you know, it's not you're not, um, tied down to cause and effect. It wasn't helpful. <laughs> and he had a lot of uh, consequences from that unhelpful, unskillful answer, 500 lifetimes as a thought, you know, whatever dog. Like. But that's just true for everything. You know, there's a lot of unhelpfulness in about five minutes, Kevin. Okay. Um, so I love that. And it's just, it made me think when you were talking, Douglas, you can't just give some one size fits all fixed answer. There's no answer here, you know, like, the turning word that Bai Jane gave this old man was skillful, you know, it worked, but maybe it wouldn't have helped someone else. <laughs> and so like when Wayne Bo comes up, well, isn't that going to work for everyone? No, <laughs> that answer is not going to work for everyone. So I just think when I hear this, come on, there's so much to it, but you can't just give these one size fits all answers. There's no right answer, you know, and we know this, right. There's no ground to stand on. And, um, there are helpful and unhelpful answers and sometimes you have to give answers that are contradictory I love Bai Zhang's answer you know I always hear ignore you know, a Buddha does not ignore cause and effect that's my traditional way of hearing it that's a very nuanced answer you know you can really work with that and if you just give like a cut or dry either or there's not a lot to work there so you gotta let the student do some work too you know if you just yeah. give everything for the student you know what, what's the student gonna do so,
4: Thank well you. I think um you know I think that translation of not ignoring cause and effect it's pretty popular too because it has it gives the old man who becomes the fox a sort of active role in what's happened that the delusion is is something that he actively does with his awareness he turns away from reality in the same way he doesn't obscure it well he obscures it by focusing on himself and on this identity he has I am I'm an enlightened Zen master. I'm not going to fall into cause and effect. And that's precisely what leads to his rebirth, right? And and you're right, that, that even, even textbook Buddhism can be the wrong answer. It depends on the circumstances. It can't be the right answer if you're clinging to the answer. If If you are using it as a tool in your search for to avoid discomfort or to gain pleasure or to gain uh, validate your self-worth or to gain approval, uh, even the right answer in those circumstances is the wrong answer or the better answer is it's an unskillful response. It's an unskillful way of dealing with the teachings and will cause
5: yeah thank you. Sometimes I'm the sure. perfect answer is the last thing the student needs to hear, right?
4: <laughs> so. yeah. yeah. Thank
6: you. Hey, can I say something?
4: Sure, Aaron, go ahead.
6: Okay, so not so being unfamiliar with Cohen practice although I have heard, you know, Coen's before. Um, so my, my, uh, so my impression of this was it was, uh, it was a, a a longer cohen than I've heard before. Sometimes Coen's seem very short when they're recited. And so I got a little bit lost in the details. um, Although I certainly got the message at the end of your talk when you basically summarized it about how we go through cycles of delusion and awakeness and delusion and awakeness it seemed like a very, you know, perplexing Cohen just to come to that conclusion. For someone like me, it comes off sounding pretentious and I don't want to, I don't want to have that impression of koans of and so forth but you know um, that continues to be my impression
4: well it's a, it's a long complicated story but if you were practicing with a koan teacher it would be broken up into a bunch of different koans the first one being I am not a human being and you know, koans. Uh, you know, koans are are like Zen. Generally, it's not something to figure out. It's not a matter of having the right answer or collecting information. Um, and what really happens is that in your sitting, there are different ways people practice with koans. Sometimes people will have a part of the koan that they sort of drop into the middle of zazen from time to time. Other times, different teachers, different koans will just say, okay, think about the koan and then go sit zazen. What happens is that from the perspective of your sitting and letting go of thinking, expectations, emotions, judgments, something about that koan makes sense. It's not something that you figured out. But um
6: well if that's the case then you know you could have just put together some word salad and I'd probably get just as much out of it by sitting around and just, you know, uh contemplating just the fact that you spoke and uh maybe some key words like fox. Delusion, rebirth. Um, maybe I would get something out of that. But just okay. So just if you could, then if you said it will usually be broken down. Could you just talk a little bit for a second about what if you had just ended tonight by saying, "Who are you?" And he said, um, instead of saying who he was, he said who who he wasn't. And he's a he's he, So he's not a human being. So even if we didn't know at that point that he. Presents as a fox. What what might be the insights derived from coming to a teacher, being asked who you are, and saying, "I'm not a human being."
4: That the way you've asked that question is you want me to give you an answer. Koans are not about having an answer that has been figured out or a piece of information.
6: I see. Okay, um,
4: and koans are not. Just word salad they have meaning, and they make sense from a given perspective. The way to reach that perspective is to sit
3: okay,
6: afterwards,
7: afterwards? but we sat
6: but we sat beforehand, and then we listened to the Cohen. It's kind of backwards. Maybe we should have done the Cohen practice first and then sat.
4: It'll work both ways. Okay, man, you've got plenty of time to work on that one. It'll
7: take. It takes a while to work on most of these. Thank lines. you, Douglas. Thanks. you sure, again. Hopefully, Aaron, you will you will sit again, and this story <laughs> may come up again. But I, 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 first, I want to. And and the and one point just that you just put up, Aaron, uh, these koan teachings, these teaching stories are not nonsense. They're not random. They're not, you know, kind of illogical. That's not the point. Sometimes they're presented that way. There is a, a, lo- a kind of logic, a kind of, uh, you know, a logic of awakening that's, that they all have. But it's, as, as Douglas said, it's not about figuring it out. It's about allowing it to become part of your practice body. So this this story, particularly that Douglas raised tonight, is one of the you know most, com- most I don't know most complicated. It's one of the, one of the uh, richest stories. There's so many aspects to this that I you know I could talk about for hours beyond what Douglas said. Although everything Douglas said, I totally uh, agree with. Um, and so uh, just a couple things to say. Um, the whole idea of a fox is uh, like in native american lore foxes are tricksters and they have a positive and a negative context in asia or east asia anyway foxes are really malevolent so it wasn't it's not just that he became a fox it's that he became a fox oh my god that's (laughs) you know really terrible um that's one thing there's so many aspects to this story i mean Douglas has spoken about it before. I've spoken about it before. And, you know, we're not even close to exhausting it, of course. Um, uh, the other, another thing is about who Baijong is. He's considered to be the founder of, uh, you know, in, in, in the tradition of uh, ethical standards. And, and uh, he, he, there's a sta- basic ethical uh, uh, text that is attributed to him. So the fact that he would have a monk's funeral for a fox is really scandalous. It's just, oh my God, Baijong did that? It's just, anyway, so the, the, there are many, many aspects to it. But but getting to the core of it, um, not, not blind to cause and effect or not ignoring cause and effect uh, or going beyond cause and effect, um there's an issue here so uh, so this this story is one that is the i think the only or the main uh example in the work of Ehe Dogen, the founder of soto zen uh where he actually kind of changes his mind the traditional understanding so there, there's lots of different aspects of this okay but the traditional understanding in in women's uh poem that Douglas uh, went over is kind of like, and, and this is the Chinese interp- Chinese Chan interpretation generally, that these are two sides of one coin. This is form and emptiness. There's, you know, as, as Douglas said, there's uh, no cause and effect, going beyond cause and effect, and also not being, not ignoring cause and effect, and that there's sort of you, you know, it, as Douglas said, it's not about uh, about finding some judgment of right or wrong. It's, not a, it's, it's, uh, it's going beyond judgments. And so, yeah, they're both sort of part of the same thing. Well, Dogan in his fir- first essay about this story, kind of goes along with that. But then later, he, he kind of shifts in a way that he doesn't really do about anything else, uh, in my opinion, in his teaching, and he really takes a strong stand behind following cause and effect, not ignoring cause and effect, ethical conduct and the precepts so you know this this is a this is a real practice issue that applies to us uh can do we just go along with things, or do we actually take you know an ethical response to things and uh and ends up ta- taking a kind of strict uh, uh, response on that side but this the story goes around and around I mean we can there's so many aspects of it that um, yeah I like um,
4: that's one reason I like the translation of not obscuring cause and effect because I think it's coming from a position of emptiness but it's clarify it it the point is not that Uh, things are dissolved in emptiness and so that reality becomes sort of mushy. It is this world and cause and effect are clear, but um, you can't ignore it that way. Things aren't independent, bouncing around like the bumper cars. Um, You know, cause and effect is there. Everything is affecting everything else. And you can't you can't ignore that there are consequences to everything you do. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think there it's a it's a koan that merits many visits. Five hundred lifetimes. I don't want to put in five hundred lifetimes
7: on it though. Yeah. <laughs> But it's also, the way Dogen comes to it, just, it, again, is a really uh, standing up for the precepts for uh, how do we find ethical responses to all of the issues in our lives in the world. So, uh, others? Uh, Wade, were you going to say something, something?
3: Yes, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, it's fine, go. Um, so if the orthodox answer is that one who has attained enlightenment is not Impacted by cause and effect, or I forget what word the Kalan uses. It's
4: not. You could say not subject to cause and effect. Not uh, subject. Not to subject to karma. Um,
3: how how uh, how could that be the orthodox answer? I mean, the the obvious counterpoint to that is that 2,500 years ago, Shakyamuni in India awakened, and then he preached for I don't know 50 years or something. And what we're doing here tonight is a direct effect of that of that cause of, of the things that he did after he attained enlightenment. And and similarly, he was impacted by things things outside of them impacted him after he attained enlightenment. So cause and effect is still up for you know the the historical Buddha. So how can we say that? cause and effect doesn't affect someone? How, how could Buddha's historical orthodox answer? How could that have arisen? Because it seems to be on its face.
4: It's well, false. I think the answer, I think, is, you know, the old man, the fox spirit is talking about cause and effect entirely in terms of personal karma and the effect of intentional thought, speech, and actions on your own life and bai Zhang is talking about the more expansive view from hmm. the heart sutra for example and all the prasya paramita sutras that the entire universe is nothing but a web of cause and cause and effect causes and conditions and the classical answer is that shakyamuni buddha was enlightened and therefore when he died he was not reborn karma no longer had any hold on him and neither did Many of the Arhats who studied with him, the Shravakas, the first generation of disciples of Shakyamuni Buddha, and that's you know part of the whole um, deal. That um, you know, you look at the Lotus Sutra. Buddhas are in fully awakened beings who have decided not to enter Nirvana, who have chosen to be reborn in order to work for the awakening and well-being of all of all beings. But they were not subject to, they're not impelled to be reborn by their karma. But they've made the decision to do that because of their bodhisattva spirit.
3: I guess perhaps I my experience with Buddhism has been almost entirely at Ancient Dragons. So perhaps I am uh, too much inside uh, 21st century Mahayana. Uh, because to me it's, it's obvious that this talk is a karmic inheritance. Of shocking, like obviously the words that I'm speaking now are uh, a direct effect of of the words that he spoke, and so how is that how is that not karmically connected? But that's perhaps a different understanding of karma. Then
4: I think I would say so. Yeah.
3: yeah, Hopefully, that's not an incorrect
4: understanding. No, I think people would say obviously there were effects from Shakyamuni Buddha's life in the world. But it's not not karma in the sense of what happens to his body-mind as a result of intentional actions.
3: Okay. I think that answers my question. It's a sticky wicket. Yeah. I appreciate the answer.
4: But I think, you know... um, Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't think most Buddhists in Mahayana countries, in the same way that most Buddhists in South Asian countries, would be able to talk about shunyata and emptiness and things like that. They could talk about, well, I'm trying to get a rebirth, and you know, a, an enlightened person like a Buddha or an Arhant, you know, they'd wake up and they're not reborn because they have achieved enlightenment. I think that's you know, um, except for the bodhisattvas, and then they have the choice;
7: they make the choice to be reborn. And that's kind of the point that we're doing bodhisattva practice. And so, uh, Douglas was presenting me the, the old the old original uh, Buddhist uh, view of this, uh, and being free of cause and effect means not being reborn. But the bodhisattva practice is that we. Uh, uh, um, as Jao says, deliberately transgress and, and, uh, you know, we're in the world and we're trying to be helpful to suffering beings in the world so we don't ignore uh, cause and effect and karma and, you know, become part of that but from this place of kind of seeing this other side of uh, emptiness Enter into be, be helpful in the world for ourselves and each other and for all, all beings. So that's, you know, kind of a, a Zen perspective on that. But, the, but there's no last word on this koan. I mean, it's just, it's such a rich story. Uh, there's many more things I could say about it, but. Uh, I wonder if other people have comments or questions. Amina, do you have any thoughts about foxes?
0: No, I mean to be honest, I was fairly lost um, in this, no. even in some of this discussion for some reason. But I was thinking about how, with koans in general. Um, I often smile, you know, at different points when I listen to them or read them and other people will like smile. And so I was just, I was thinking about humor in koans and I don't know if like there's humor and and how, even if I don't understand something, I'll still, there's still something that makes me want to laugh or there's still something that kind of I, I react to. And I don't know if the, if the humor comes from like this space and time or if it, was a part of things in the origin of like the koans or, you know, like what I find absurd or outrageous or not outrageous, but that's the wrong word. That's like too dramatic. But um, if that existed in the past too, you know, like kind of in the time of these koans and what that means to not understand something, but still find humor in it or still react. To that later.
4: I think, the humor was there and was intentional. The whole idea, I mean, when I read the koan, I think of the original Bajan, the old man who turned into the fox, is, you know, sort of pompous, and he, he gets his comeuppance, right? Because he gave the wrong answer, he misled his student, and as a result, he's been turned into this obnoxious, unpleasant, nasty animal, a fox. And you know, in Japan, fox, foxes, fox spirits are so malevolent that there are temples where people make offerings to uh, propitiate the fox spirits, so that they won't do bad things to them. That's that's how unpleasant foxes are. And the whole idea of um, I like Wanbo asking the question: Well, what if what if the old man had given your answer? What would have happened? And then the whole fight of uh, sort of uh, who's going to slap who first, and Wang Bo kind of slaps, slap slap. You know, you're getting too intellectual here. This is this isn't about debates and philosophical theories. Snap out of it. <laughs> it's kind of. I think it's kind of funny.
7: I want to say yes to Amina. A lot of these old stories are hilarious in a certain way from a some perspective and some of them are intentionally really funny, like this the Wang Po uh, coming up to Baishan. Uh, so yeah, but the point the point is exactly not to try and figure it out logically and get some understanding of it. The point is to play with it. So there's play and there's humor very much involved in practicing with these with these stories. What does it
4: yeah, mean to that, you? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and I think um, that whole idea of, of not getting, not holding on to your views about the world and yourself are there in so many aspects. So, you know, the, uh, the old man, the five, old Bajan Wan had this idea of himself that resulted in, he held on to it for 500 lives. I'm a Zen master, but he's a dirty, malevolent fox, but he's holding on to that pretty hard. I'm a Zen master. I'm not supposed to, this isn't supposed to happen to me. And on the other hand, Wang Bo slaps Bai Zhang, and Bai Zhang doesn't go, Wait a minute, I'm a great Zen master. I've written all these treatises on the rules governing monasteries. I've got a lot of people are going to write koans about me. He just laughs. He's right? he not taking himself seriously.
8: So should we wrap it up? I I just have a kind of a question, really. Um, I'm I'm kind of new to this. Uh, I've dabbled in meditation for some time, but this is my first time uh, uh, doing a little more involved study of uh, uh, Zen Buddhism. And uh, I really uh, don't have a comment. I've got to think about these and meditate and on what I've heard today. But I have a, I have a question and uh, it arise it arose from the chat. And I've listened to some of the podcasts, but I haven't heard the chat and I'm 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 gonna mess up the pronunciation, but they, they mention a Sutra Prajnati Mita. Uh paramita, yeah. And and Floyd, you or, or Douglas, I'm sorry, you um uh you, you uh, mentioned it made mention of it. if somebody could tell me without going to unreasonable detail.
4: Uh, what what is the prajna? Prajna, which is wisdom, and paramita is perfection, maybe or transcendence, transcendent wisdom, perfected wisdom, complete wisdom, which is insight into the fact that nothing in the there are no things in the world that nothing is stable and independent everything is subject to change and exists subject to causes and conditions interrelated with everything else so there are no fixed things everything exists with everything else as the world is the world with everything in it not a collection of things
8: and that, that 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 was helpful. Anyway, I'll uh, have a better idea where, where to go with it. Um, this has been fun. Good. Just
7: to add, good. Just to add to what Douglas said, another way to to hear Prajna Paramita uh, uh, is Prajna was wisdom or insight, as Douglas said. Paramita is a, tr- a transcendent practice, so it's actually the practice of. Awakening or insider wisdom. It's another, another way to gloss it. Joe, where are you coming to us from?
8: In Illinois, uh, right just north of Chicago.
7: Oh, good. Great. All right. Come again, please.
6: Okay, my hand is up.
7: Okay, Aaron.
6: Okay. All right. So before I came on the talk, I was listening to my local uh, radio station, NPR, National Public Radio, and they were talking about Cambodia and um, how Cambodia um, and China, actually China, most recently is helping Cambodia by donating like 20 million or more um, vaccine doses, whereas the U.S. only donated a million. And, um, you know, they talked about, well, why Why is Cambodia warming up to um, China, you know, instead of the West or in addition to... And they were like... They quoted the, China, the Cambodian leader saying, well, if we don't, you know, if we don't look to China for help, who are we going to look to? And um, I think Cambodia probably, there's a lot of Buddhists in Cambodia. Does anyone know?
7: The Buddhist country, yeah.
6: The Buddhist (laughs) country, right? So I was wondering if, uh, if countries can have karma. Is there anything beyond personal karma? Is there collective karma? You know, why is a Buddhist country like that going through such shit when, you know, our country with, you know, relatively few Buddhists compared to them, prospers, relatively speaking. You know, was it, did Cambodia have a previous life as a, you know, as a malevolent country? And they're, they're just living their karma right now?
7: If I may, Douglas, uh, co- the point of collective karma is really important. It's not just about personal karma. It's not just about personal personalization. So, for example, one of many examples, our country has uh, a uh, problem because of our collective past karma of slavery and racism. And that's coming up now in lots of ways and affects all of us. Uh, And just one of many, many, many examples. So, yes, uh, there is collective karma that applies to countries. It applies to sanghas. It applies to all kinds of groups of people because we're not separate selves because we are connected, as Douglas was saying.
6: Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. (laughs)
8: I Just kind of a quick comment about the, the collective uh, issue. Uh, one of my favorite speeches of, of Robert Kennedy was one, and there's there's no way I could uh, quote it without putting it. I don't have it in front of me, but uh, he was it was a speech he gave on uh, the, the the idea of, of uh, prosperity. And uh, you're right, Aaron, the you United know, States is a prosperous country uh, materially, but uh, Kennedy said, uh, you know, "How are we measuring prosperity?" Prosperity also uh, includes Whitman's uh, Whitman's rifle and speck's knife and uh, terrible things as well. So it's, it's not just a question of, um, uh, of of how much money we have, uh, but uh, what we what we do with it. I'll uh, I'll pull up the speech one of these days and we'll bring it there. Thank you,
6: Joe.
7: Maybe on that note of acknowledging our collective (laughs) context and uh, what is it? Does Jesus say something about whatever you do to the least of these? uh, How are you doing to me? Lots and lots and lots of suffering. (laughs) So maybe Bodhisattva vows in closing. Sure.
3: Let me pull up the words for that one moment, and we do this three times.
1: Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless i vow to free them delusions are inexhaustible i vow to end them dharma gates are boundless i vow to enter them buddha's way is unsurpassable i vow to realize it Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them. Dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them. Buddha's way is
0: unsurpassable, I vow to realize it.